Now, with the latest from the world of technology, this is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. Tech Guide. Well, without a doubt, the biggest tech story of the week. Tech Guide. It's a very competitive market, the smartphone market. Keeping you updated and educated. This is a device that combines a tablet, a laptop, and a sketch pad. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. This is the future. Wireless earphones. Tech Guide. What you see is what you get. Quality is obvious. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide, episode 287. Hello and welcome to the podcast that keeps you always updated and always educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. Thank you for listening and thanks for downloading. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. First time listeners, welcome aboard as well. On this week's show, why penalties for texting drivers need to be more severe. Pilots of DJI drones now need to pass a quiz before they can fly and Samsung teases the features of the Galaxy S9 with some new videos. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to check out Apple's HomePod speaker and the device that makes your air conditioner smart and also the Netgear X4S tri-band range extender. And we'll finish it off, as we always do, with the helpful Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products, and also Norton, the company, to help keep you and your family safe online. A huge show planned for you, so let's get cracking. Driver distraction has always been an issue, especially since the introduction of smartphones. We have uh, this very, very close relationship with our devices, and that unfortunately extends all the way into the car. And I say unfortunately because there are some drivers, I'm not saying all drivers, but many drivers who text behind the wheel. Now, there are some pretty strict rules already around the use of smartphones in your vehicle, and these involve the, the, the device being mounted, it involves you not touching the device unless it's to for navigation or to change your music, so no texting allowed. But that hasn't stopped some people from ignoring those laws and still texting while they're driving. You can tell anyone who's listening to this podcast, you may be listening to this podcast in your car. If you're, at, if you're stopped at lights or even when you're driving, take a quick glance at some other drivers and I'll bet you every dollar in my wallet that you will see numerous people with their phone in their lap tapping away looking at their device all illegal of course but it's such a common thing now that it's starting to become a worry and the reason i say that is because it comes after uh, there was an incident uh, in the sydney suburb of lumia where a 22 year old who was texting away accidentally, well, he was texting, so he wasn't, uh, he wasn't paying attention. Well, he was texting and plowed into a roadside breath test where two policemen were seriously injured. One officer lost part of his leg in the accident. That's how severe it is. They are lucky to be alive, these police officers. And there have been many cases where texting and the distraction that texting brings has cost people their lives and you think about it it's not the driver putting their own life at risk 
they are endangering other drivers and other pedestrians and other people they're not they're not paying attention to because they're looking down at their device and typing away some travelling at 100 kilometres an hour down the expressway. I've seen it with my own eyes and I just shake my head in dismay. I'm appalled that they think they can control a vehicle travelling at that speed while typing out a text message with one hand. It's just ridiculous. You think about the time it takes for you to look down at your device, type a word or two, that two, three, four seconds, your car's travelled up to 100 metres, you might as well be blindfolded. And you don't know what's going to happen. In the case of these poor officers, one of them now has got half a leg. And the other officer is in a serious condition. And this driver, what makes it even worse is this driver had already had his licence suspended four times and was banned from driving in 2016 for, guess what, using his smartphone while driving. Absolutely ridiculous. I think they should throw the book at him. That's why I've written this piece on Tech Guide, why I'm talking to you right now about the need for more severe penalties for texting drivers. At the moment, as it stands, in the state of New South Wales, and this is pretty similar around the country, if a person is caught texting or just touching their device while they're driving, it's an automatic three demerit points off and they're issued with a $298 fine. Now, if that happens in a school zone... It becomes four demerit points and $397 fine. Now, those may sound high and those demerit points uh, may seem uh, high also, but it's not a deterrent. People aren't stopping doing this. Now, we need to create a penalty that's so severe that the driver will think, no way I'm going to touch my phone. It's going to be the consequences are too serious. My suggestion, and I'm putting this out there, is that a texting driver, if they're caught texting behind the wheel, should automatically lose their license on the spot. Even uh, My suggestion is suspend their license for a week. One week. So the one week without driving, that will put a severe dent into their job, their social life, their other plans. So that, I think that's what, while, while it's not a, a, a you know, add the fine in there as well, while it's not like a three, six more year suspension, which may be too severe, one week, get rid of their license. The reason I, th- I say that is because if a, dri- a driver texting behind the wheel sh- is showing they've got little regard for safety. Now, if they've got so little regard for not only their own safety, but for mine and your safety then they don't deserve to have a license and don't deserve to be behind the wheel of the car. So that's that's my reasoning behind that. that. That's how severe the penalty should be. One week. That would show a driver just how serious. Make it two weeks even. That would mean that drivers will take this seriously and the stories we're reading about teenagers killing themselves in cars and people getting injured, pedestrians hurting themselves, uh, that would stop. Even pedestrians, how many times have you seen people texting while they're walking across the road? Not paying attention to the traffic. Car hits them, they're going to blame the driver, of course, but the pedestrians got, they see they have a, a duty of care for themselves to watch where they're going. 
It's now illegal, actually, in Honolulu to cross the road. That's in Hawaii. For, to cross the road while looking at your phone. Not even texting you on your phone. Just looking at your phone will incur a fine. They're getting tough. That's what we need to do before more, more innocent people lose their lives. These drivers kill themselves, kill other people. And how do you explain that? Oh, I was texting. I had to send a text message. Pull over by the side of the road or do it when you get there. Is it worth your life? Is it worth someone else's life sending a message? And I think the problem isn't that we suddenly get the urge to text people while we're traveling 100 k's down the expressway. The problem is the notifications. If the notifications are coming in from messages, emails, social media, we want to reply straight away. We don't want to be left out. We want to get that message out there. And some people just cannot resist having to send that message right away. And look where it has got us. Serious problem, needs a serious solution, and that's my idea. Suspend the driver on the spot, minimum a week, make it two if you want to go go harder. But I think that would absolutely get make sure they get the message that it's unsafe to do that. If you want to read more about my story, then my blog is uh, on uh, my website, techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. All right, I got a bit fired up that first segment, and you know what? I'm going to get fired up again because the there are some people who who buy their drones and think that they can do whatever they want and fly the drone wherever they want, and these cowboys then put other people in danger. This is the thing. I think there's there's not enough consideration for some people that their actions could have consequences here, and that, that's that's very common among drone pilots and rookie drone pilots who think that yeah, I'm going to go buy a drone and go fly it and take some photos, and they just ignore the rules. They don't know the rules to begin with. Now I'm I'm a licensed drone pilot. I've mentioned that several times before on the show, and I know exactly what and where I can and can't fly. And it surprised me the amount of knowledge that I had to that I had to learn in a week long course to get my license to know the safety around flying a drone properly or safely, of course. Now there's a lot of uh, people out there, a lot of cowboys who think, "Nah, I can I can do this. She'll be right." Well, that's not always the case. And DJI, the world's most uh, the world's biggest drone manufacturer the leading drone manufacturer. I call them the Apple of the drone world. They do come up with some excellent products. Uh, they've come up with a great new idea that uh, that will force pilots to answer a quiz before they're allowed to connect to and control their drone. Great idea, this. They've got to answer nine questions, pretty basic questions, that are based on the Civil Aviation Safety Authorities, that's CASA for short, the Civil Aviation Safety Authorities Rules and Regulations. Now, it's just another way that DJI has taken responsibility here to make pilots accountable uh, for the safety of the of their drone. They want pilots to take care, to know the rules, and these questions involve questions about how far do you have to be from a controlled airspace to fly a drone? Answers that's 5.5 kilometres. What's your maximum altitude with the drone in Australia in areas where you are allowed to fly your drone? Answers that 120 metres or 400 feet if you're if you're into the imperial measurements. All these these are sorts of questions that are really simple but need to be known, 
And the beauty of this is the way they've set it up in the app. So when you open the app, you need the app to to control the drone, connect to the drone. You get these questions, and you have uh, you can ignore them four times, but then the fifth time you have to take the quiz. And the quiz won't let you you won't be able to go to the next question until you get the answer right. So it's a learning process. If you don't know them already, if you don't get a hundred percent first go, you do get a chance to get the answer right. So obviously if you press one answer, it's multiple choice. So if you press one, you get it wrong, you think, well, it must be this one. Oh, it might be this one. And then you keep doing it until you know. And in that process, that process itself helps you learn. It You learn the rules. You know, being a licensed pilot takes more than just answering nine questions. There's a way more involved than that. But at least this system can reinforce the rules, what pilots need to know. Yeah, CASA packs a little yellow leaflet inside every new drone. And how many new pilots you reckon read it? I think they throw it out the way just desperate to get the drone up in the air. Well, this way they can't avoid it. They have to answer the quiz, the knowledge quiz, before they can fly. Uh, on top of that, DJI has been pretty active in, in, in promoting flight safety. They, they do things like uh, automatic la- uh, altitude limitations to help pilots that make sure they fly at safe altitudes. They've also got sense and avoid technology, so there's, there's sensors so you don't crash into things. They can identify obstacles. There's also a, a handy return to home feature uh, that will bring the drone right back to where it took off. Uh, and, and and the GPS features too. If you are flying a drone w- within the 5.5-kilometre radius, it'll tell you that. And in, if you're really close to the airport, it'll just not la- allow you to fly the drone. It'll say this is a no-fly zone, and the drone will automatically land if you try to take off. You might get a meter in the air, and then the NFZ flashes up, no-fly zone, and the drone has to land. It says landing now, no-fly zone, and you can't do anything about it. Some people claim they can hack this or get around the rule, but you need to apply to DJI for this kind of dispensation, and it's just too much trouble, not worth it, because it's not legal. There may be some special circumstances where you need to actually, in in that instance, get CASA's approval, and I'd say 99 times out of 100, they'd knock you back anyway. But this is a great initiative by DJI to help build knowledge. Knowledge is power. You know the rules. You can fly your drone responsibly and safely. If you want to read more about that story, check it out, techguide.com.au. Now, Samsung are really teasing us now. The Galaxy S9 launch is only about a week away, and we are already, there's already a fair bit of knowledge out there, a lot of rumors flying around about the new Galaxy S9, which will be unveiled at the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona in on uh, February the 26th. I'll be there in Barcelona covering it for you for Tech Guide. I'll be writing all my stories on Tech Guide and also recording a podcast. The next episode of the Tech Guide podcast will be recorded in Barcelona as well. And in the next show, I'll obviously have a lot more knowledge about uh, the S9, and I'll be sharing that with you. But in the meantime, Samsung has busily been teasing us with some tantalizing details and uh, also some videos. There were three videos which were, were released by South Korea, uh, by Samsung Mobile Korea. And the three videos show uh, what I think, what I uh, imagine to be various features of the camera. 
and they, they in in the promotional material for the launch, the invite says the camera reimagined, and reimagined is written inside the nine of uh, the Galaxy S nine. Now the first video shows a, a person in a flying fox suit. You know those guys who dive off the top of a mountain and glide before they hit the parachute. And you're seeing this, all this fast action, but also you're seeing other things like a cheetah, a skateboard, a roller coaster, a train, uh, and the man in the flying fox as well, zooming across the sky. But what happens right near the end of the video is the man suddenly is in slow motion inside the circle of the nine, which to me indicates that there's going to be a new super slow-mo feature on, on board the S9's camera. Next video shows all these night shots. The, there's a, 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 all these shots of a city at night, all these various scenes at night, and at the very end of it, there's a deer, and the deer appears to be illuminated once a photogra- photograph's taken. And to me, this kind of means that it'll probably have improved low-light performance for video as well as for still images. Shooting video in low-light is really difficult, shooting images in low light it's easy to get more color into it videos may be a different story so it may be a new low light uh, feature to improve videos in low light uh, the last the last video is a really interesting one as well and it shows a man in all these various situations he's playing a game he's on a roller coaster he's at the hairdresser he's at the movies he's at a birthday party he's at the gym and at the very end the guy turns into an emoji so his face is, is cartoon is made into a cartoon, which to me suggests or kind of almost confirms one of the rumors that there are t- there are two front facing cameras on the device, and these front facing cameras are said to be a, a the way the smartphone can give a more accurate and, and harder to crack face ID security. So that's similar to what the iPhone Apple did with the iPhone 10. Uh, with the Face ID, that's got a really powerful camera, front-facing camera to enable that. It appears the same thing's going to happen here. And like Apple, that camera will also be used to create an emoji or a, or a bitmoji. Have you ever seen those bitmojis where cartoon big head on a small body? It may do that. So it'll animate your head, put it on a small body, and that could be one of the new features as well. But here are the other things we know about the S9, or allegedly know if the rumours are to be believed. The S9 will have a 5.8-inch display. The S9 Plus, a 6.2-inch display. Uh, there's going to be a 64-gig of memory on the S9, 128-gig on the S9 Plus. Both will be powered by the new Qualcomm Snapdragon 845 processor. Uh, if the leaked images, and I've got them on my store on Tech Guide, if they're to be believed, it shows a single 12 megapixel rear camera on the S9 and a dual lens camera on the larger S9 Plus. And the fingerprint reader is now in the center of the back of the phone. Uh, so that's what we know or what the rumors uh, are suggesting. But you can see it all for yourself when the S9, the Galaxy S9 smartphone launch, kicks off at 4 a.m. on Feb 26. So uh, keep your eye out for that. I will be reporting all of it at Tech Guide next week. But you can see those teaser videos that I mentioned at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. 
and they've just introduced Orbi, the world's first tri-band Wi-Fi system. Orbi gives you reliable, secure, and crazy fast Wi-Fi to every inch of your home. That's right, everywhere. No more dead zones upstairs, no drop connections through walls, just better Wi-Fi across the board. Orbi reaches up to 370 square metres through Wi-Fi barriers like walls, stairs and doors. With a dedicated internet connection, Orbi helps prevent buffering while streaming your favourite movies and shows. No matter how many devices are connected, you have ultra-fast Wi-Fi speeds. The Orbi tri-band Wi-Fi system works with your existing router, your existing modem, to maximise the speed you're paying for. Orbi's sleek design and state-of-the-art technology steals the show. It gives your home a superior Wi-Fi network that's both easy to set up and elegant to display. With just a couple of clicks, your secure Wi-Fi network will be ready in no time. For more information, visit netgear.com.au. Orbi, better Wi-Fi everywhere. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennett. Tech Guide. Our first review for this show this week is Apple's HomePod. Now, this is a an interesting product. It's been out, out a week now, and I've had I've been listening to it for that week. And I have to say that, as far as music speakers go, I say there couldn't be too many uh, that are better than this. This is a high quality audio speaker. Sounds incredible. But it's also a smart speaker. It does have smarts built in, and I'm not just just talking about being able to turn your lights on and off. The smarts built in are, are intimately tied with Apple Music. So if you're a music fan, it is really smart about how it serves up your music, how it can play music that you like, uh, information about artists, all of this detail that really makes your Apple Music membership even more valuable. And and the good thing is you're hearing it through an absolute A grade A speaker that Apple has created. The HomePod, uh, it is out at a very interesting time. We do have Google Home, we've got Amazon Alexa, and other speakers out there. And while the HomePod isn't quite as uh, as as tied in with smart appliances and the system that all these other companies use. Uh, like at the last CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, Google was everywhere. Every major company had the ability to say, uh, to call Google and, and make all these commands and do things, find out information. Same deal with Alexa, Amazon's Alexa. Again, many companies have adopted Alexa as the go-to digital assistant for their appliances. Apple was nowhere to be seen at CES, but they had intended, they had announced HomePod and intended to release HomePod in December. That was delayed until early February, and uh, it is now for sale. Now, the speaker itself does offer a lot of features in terms of uh, not only having great audio quality, but also being uh, smart enough to talk to and smart enough to command and to find information. And, yeah, turn your switches on and off and do those sorts of things as well. I'll get to that in a moment. But let's talk about the design and how 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 brilliantly built and constructed this speaker is. Now, design, always important for Apple. I'd say this is probably one of the first products where the design of the inside of the product was probably more important than what you see on the outside. And inside design, Apple hasn't disappointed. Lots of technology packed into the HomePod, which is 17.2 centimetres tall, 14.2 centimetres wide. Powered by an A8 chip, 
which is quite powerful for a speaker when you think about it. It does need that power because it analyzes the music, dynamically adjusts the output as well. Because this, the speaker, once it's set up, optimizes itself for its situation. So it knows it's against a wall. It knows it's elevated. It knows its position in the room so it can give the optimum performance and adjust, make the adjustments on the fly to adapt the acoustics for the room. Uh, there's a high excursion woofer on board, which travels 20 millimeters peak to peak, which is a, a fair distance for a speaker of this size just to move that amount of air around. There are also seven tweeters under the hood, each with its own amplifier. And uh, there's also a microphone array because the speaker can not only play, it can also hear and hear its own performance and to adapt, but also hear the user's voice. Even in even if you're playing loud music, you can simply say in a in a, in a low tone, "Hey Siri," and your speaker will respond straight away. I'm just looking around at my iPhone, making sure that uh, Siri hasn't activated, uh, but uh, or whether the HomePod is activated as well. But it is that easy to get its attention, even with loud music, and ask it to play your music or play a certain artist or play a playlist or play a certain type of music or a certain mood of music. You may say, uh, play me uh, chill cooking music or play me uh, energetic workout music or play me uh, breakup songs from the 1980s. That's the sort of detail you can go in. And you, the result is this remarkable sound where the the detail is really impressive. I was hearing things in songs that I thought I knew well. I was hearing things in songs I'd never heard before, especially from recent artists and artists who've taken the trouble to lay down multiple tracks. So the lossless audio through Apple Music, it sounds even better. So for those artists who have gone to that trouble, you can actually, you're rewarded by hearing all those nuances and all those layers in the song. It is incredible. And it's also smart enough, too, to know which what tone to bounce off a wall, like it might be backing vocals and other, other music. It also knows what to, what to direct towards the middle of the room where the listeners are located as well, so the main music, the vocals, all those sorts of things. So it is smart enough to do that. So the sound stage you get is quite expansive, and it is you 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 think wow that that's coming out of a speaker that's only seventeen centimeters tall. That's pretty impressive, and and impressed is what you will be. It does sound remarkable, but as I mentioned, what really helps is its relationship to Apple Music. Apple Music has so much smarts on board, so much knowledge, and because it knows you and who you like and what sort of songs you play. It can absolutely surprise you about what it comes up with when you just ask it to play music. It'll start playing songs that you think, oh, I love this song, or artists you may have not heard for a long time. Uh, setup is really simple as well. you just got to power it on, put your iOS device close to it. Uh, it'll pick it up. It'll set it up. It's like a four or five click process in your HomePod setup. So you, you tell it what room it's in, uh, whether you want to allow for uh, your personal your personal messages to be heard. Uh, that, that's, that's something that we'll talk about in a minute as well. Uh, so you, you've got all these personal preferences about, about that. But in in a, in a minute or two, it's set up and ready to rock and roll. 
Uh, and that, that's another attraction for me for this device. It's just so simple to set up. It just absolutely does it itself. You don't even have to enter your Wi-Fi name and password. It will take that off your phone, and that'll be the Wi-Fi that it connects to. So even when you leave the house with your phone, other members of your family can just use your Apple Music account to play their music. So uh, really handy right there. Now, let's chat about smart home control. And the, the, the HomePod, I have read some other reviews and, and watched some review videos, and there's been a lot of criticism that it's not quite in the same league as Google Home and Amazon Alexa. And in some ways it isn't, but other ways it most certainly is. Now, you can't order a pizza or check your, your bank balance or your the amount of credit you got left on your prepaid mobile account, as you can with some other, some other speakers like Alexa and Google Home. But you can command a fair bit. You can control a lot of your devices. If you've got lights, you've got switches, it can easily do that. Sensors, cameras, you name it. Anything that can be configured through HomeKit uh, on iOS and you, and you can control and connect that through your iPhone or iPad, it will work through Siri just by you using your voice. So you can ask things like, uh, and also set up scenarios too. You might say, hey, I'm home, and that'll turn on all your lights. You may say, hey, I'm going out, and that'll turn everything off. So you can sort of program those events. Like you may, you may have a, so you may say, hey, you know, good morning, and that'll turn on the lights, put on the kettle. Or alternatively, you might say, hey, I'm going to bed, and that'll turn all the lights off. So there are those possibilities. I think it may, I think it got a bit of a raw deal from some reviewers who thought that the, the, the speaker wasn't smart enough. It certainly is. Home, home kit is actually quite a detailed and easy way to control all your smart devices. And now through HomePod, you can simply do that using your voice. Uh, now, there are some things missing that we did notice, and one thing is being able to create a stereo pair. So if you bought two HomePods, you can't create a stereo pair until later this year. There is an update coming where the firmware update will allow two speakers to be paired, so they are a stereo, a left and right stereo pair. Uh, the other thing missing is multi-room playback. You know, one of the strengths of Sonos has been able to position a, a, a speaker in the bedroom, in the kitchen, in the lounge room, and be able to control whatever comes out of any speaker, play different songs out of each speaker, or plays the same thing out of all of them. That feature is missing from the HomePod for now. Again, this is also coming later this year when AirPlay 2 is, is introduced. So Apple has left itself some room to improve here, have promised this to customers with the firmware updates. Uh, and and when, when those updates come, then you will have those features that we talked about, the stereo pair and the multi-room playback. Now, one of, here's some of the things we didn't like, though. We mentioned earlier the personal request feature. In the setup, you, you can t leave that turned on, and that would then mean that anyone could walk up to the speaker and say, hey, read me out my last message, and you can reply and do all those sorts of things. Now, if that's not something you want to share, then you can turn personal requests off, which is a shame. Turning something off to get around a problem, what I perceive as a problem, uh, is a real shame. It, what, what, is it, what is a shame, too, is that Siri can't recognize different voices. It should be able to recognize my voice so that it, when, when I ask in my voice to hear, hear the messages, it'll, hear, it'll give me my messages. But as it stands, if personal request feature is turned on, any member of my family can ask uh, Siri to read out my last message and also reply on my behalf. I do have to be in the home 
with my phone in Bluetooth range for this to happen, but I, I could be at one end of the house and someone could be at the other end of the house and talking to Siri, listening to my last message. So it's a shame Siri can't distinguish between all the different voices. Others, Other assistants can. And if Apple want this to be an absolute winner, then they probably need to work on that feature as well. But if you're a true audio lover and you have an uh, Apple Music account, won't work with Android. Don't even bother if you're an Android user. So don't even try. It won't work. Even though you can hear Apple Music, you can listen to Apple Music on an Android device, it won't work with HomePod. Uh, Yeah, Apple done really well with HomePod and really easy to set up. Music quality is amazing. Audio quality is brilliant. But those, the negatives that I mentioned are going to be remedied later this year. Uh, the other thing, it may people may think it's a bit expensive, 499 bucks is, is a bit pricey, but for your money, you are getting an absolute top-shelf speaker and that, that would just absolutely give you top-quality sound. And when it's paired with Apple Music, it'll give you a music experience that you probably can't match with any other any other speaker. You want to read my full review of the Apple HomePod? You can check it out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Next up, we're talking about a product called Sensibo. Now, this is a device that can turn your previously, let's call it, dumb air conditioner into a smart product. So Sensibo Sky is a small device. It's got a little uh, sensor in the top half that uh, with its app, when it works together with its app, it can learn your air conditioner's remote control commands. So in for my review, we've got an LG ducted air conditioning system here in my, my place. And I, it did have an infrared remote control and all I needed to do was to aim the remote control during the setup through the app, aim the remote control at the Sensibo device, and it learned every feature of that remote control. So it detected it was an LG and that it was this model, it could do this. And now through the Sensibo app and having the Sensibo device located in the same in the same uh, room as the air conditioning control panel. In my case, my control panel is up on just up on my the second floor of my house. The Sensibo sensor is on the other side of the room, about seven meters away, and it's basically an IR blaster that can then turn the air conditioner on, turn it off, turn the temperature up, turn the temperature down, choose the whether I want to heat, choose whether I want it to cool. Basic controls that I would have had to tramp up the stairs, do manually on the, on the keypad, or use the remote control. But here's the thing. To use the remote control, I'd have to walk halfway up the stairs anyway, point it at the control panel for it to work. I might as well just walk all the way to the panel and just use the panel. So now with Sensibo, I can control the air conditioner from anywhere, from in, anywhere in my home. So if I want to turn the aircon on, I don't have to walk upstairs. I can press a button on the app, and boom, it's going to send the signal out. IR blaster, bang, it's on. Same deal if I want to turn it off, adjust the temperature. But the beauty is it'll also work when I'm not home. So say I'm coming home from the beach, it's a hot day, I want the house to be cool when I get home, I can turn the aircon on from the beach. And then by the time I get home, I'm walking into a cool house. Or if it's winter time, you can walk into a warm house. You can even set schedules so you know that 
between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. You wanted the heating to be on during winter. Between uh, 12 midday and 2 p.m., you want the air con on, blasting cool air because, you know, you're going to be working at home, whatever. So you can set the schedule. You want 10, 10 o'clock at night, everything turning off. You can do that. Um, so a, an excellent product that can turn that dumb air conditioner into a smart, controllable device. Now, the only thing that, that the only thing I didn't like about it was the fact that if someone is home and has manually turned on the air conditioner, I can't tell if it's on or not through the app. The app doesn't automatically update. So someone who manually turns on the, the air con, it won't reflect that on the app. Uh, I, I'd need to know if it's on and... I, I, to turn it off again, I'd have to turn the app on and then hit the off switch again. So it doesn't really give me that update. It doesn't send me a signal to say, hey, I've just been turned on. You might want to know that I'm on. So that that's probably the only thing that are, that, that's the only downside of the product. Not, not a deal breaker by any means, but uh, it is just one of those little quirks that it doesn't know if someone or the, the person with the app can't know that it's been turned on manually. But other than that, uh, an excellent product that gives you complete control of your air conditioner, and it works with all kinds of air conditioners, whether it's a split air conditioner, split system, mobile air conditioner, ducted air conditioning like I have here, all kinds of brands. As long as there's an, L, an, an infrared remote control with the system, you're in business. Sensimo, available now, priced at $159. And if you want to read our complete review, you can do that at techguide.com.au. Next up is a product from our sponsors, uh, Netgear, one of our sponsors. Their product is the, the Netgear X4S Tri-Band Wi-Fi Range Extender. Now, this is a one of the most asked for, one of the most asked questions I get at Tech Guide is, how do I make my Wi-Fi better? I, want, I can't get it in this corner of the house or that corner of the house or upstairs. How do I make it better? And nine times out of the ten, out of ten, the answer is a range extender. Use a range extender. What a range extender does is pick up your Wi-Fi signal and push it into another part of your home. So it's like I always call it, and it's like an extension cord for your Wi-Fi. You can extend your Wi-Fi reach into another part of your house. Now the Netgear Nighthawk X4S is an extender with a difference. Well, first of all, it's the world's first tri-band Wi-Fi range extender. So tri-band and uses, it's got three bands and also uses similar mesh technology that's found in Netgear's Orbi routers. So Orbi creates a mesh system so your Wi-Fi is consistent and fast across the board. Now, with the X4S, you can it's like a mini Orbi that allows you, and you don't have to connect it to an Orbi. It can be connected to any, any router, whether it's a dual-band or tri-band. We connected it for our review to the Netgear X10 and the D-Link Taipan. So it works even if it's, an, it's a non-Netgear modem router. It still works and works well. And the setup is ridiculously simple. You press the WPS button on the extender and then do the same thing on the router and the networks connect. And the good thing about it too, the good news is it doesn't create an extra network or it doesn't create a, a network name with the underscore EXT on the end of it. It just it just extends the existing network, keeps the same name, keeps the same password. And if you move about the house, say you're downstairs on, on network A and you move upstairs, the extender then takes over and then you're still on network A, but it's being powered by the X4S. So it really is a great way to push 
to improve your Wi-Fi coverage in your home. Really easy to set up with the WPS. Press one button on, on the device, press one button on your router, and you're done. If you want to also use, you can also use the Netgear installation assistant, so you can connect to the extenders network through your web browser. Uh, and then and get going from there. For our for our review, we use the Netgear Genie app, or according to the Netgear Genie app, I should say, we did the just WPS connection, but then we looked in the Netgear Genie app, and it showed that yes, the X4S was now part of the network, and that the connect it was connected with a link rate of 270 megabits per second. That was the speed I, I was able to achieve uh, through the extender. So great news there. Uh, it, it's handy if you want to connect other devices. Say you've got a smart TV upstairs or, or a gaming console or a comp- desktop computer. Wherever you want to connect, uh, it does give you that kind of wireless quality. I think it can handle up to 32 wireless devices and has a smart roaming feature so that you'll get optimal Wi-Fi band for your 4K video streaming and watching YouTube. So it's got you covered all the way, the Netgear, the Nighthawk X4S. One thing it doesn't have are Ethernet ports. Uh, the plug itself has no Ethernet, so you can't directly plug a phone or a console directly into the device. But it's, if it's right by the device, then you can just connect the Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi next to it will be quite strong, so that should get you out of trouble. The other downside is that it's a beast of a unit. It's big. And if you've got a dual uh, power socket, so two, a double power socket, putting it in one, it's going to hog the whole thing. You won't be able to use the secondary plug. It's just too fat to fit a plug into it. I've got a picture on Tech Guide to explain what I mean. So the solution here would be to plug the device into a power board or an extension cord. So that way it frees up the plug for you to use both plugs if you have to. Uh, but that doesn't detract from the, the task where it needs to extend your network. So it does work if it's connected to a power board or a extend, an extension cord. The Netgear do have some power line products that will only work if they're directly connected into a wall socket because they need to send the signal down the power lines. But not so with the X4S. You can put it in a power board. You can connect it to an extension cord because it's going to hog your PowerPoint. It's going to take up, if you've got one spare, the other one, might, might you're not going to use it because it's going to hog the lot. But that's the only downside of the product. It does work really well, really easy to set up. It's priced at 279 bucks. Uh, well worth the investment if you want to improve your Wi-Fi in your home across the board, eliminates those black spots, and the ease in which it, you can set it up, as I said, is as easy as pushing a button. If you want to read our complete review, it's priced at $279 as well, by the way. If you want to read our complete review of the Netgear Nighthawk X4S tri-band Wi-Fi range extender, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finney. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton. That's the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Now, a lot of us use public Wi-Fi, but I bet you didn't know public Wi-Fi isn't always safe. Without the right protection, your personal information could become public. We've seen many vulnerabilities that show that attackers could intercept data transmitted across a Wi-Fi network. Personal information that's transmitted over the internet or stored on your connected devices, things like your passwords, credit card numbers and more, 
could suddenly become vulnerable. All of this personal information can be used towards committing identity theft or accessing your bank accounts without your knowledge. The team at Norton are dedicated to helping you keep your valuable data safe. Norton Wi-Fi Privacy encrypts the personal information you send and receive on public Wi-Fi to help keep it private wherever you want to log on. Help protect your information with Norton Wi-Fi Privacy. To find out more, visit au.norton.com. Answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Tech Guide Help Desk, got two quick questions. The first is, I did have an, uh, an interesting email from a reader who has a, a brother who uh, is disabled but can get around on his own. But does he, the brother did ask if it was possible for him to be able to track where his brother is. Sometimes he says he likes to go a bit of a walkabout and wants to know where he, he wants to make it easier to locate him. Well, if, he, if you're both using iPhones, it's really easy. There is an app called Find My Friends. So if you activate it on your brother's, on your brother's device and then on your own, you'll come up as a little dot on a map. And you can set the amount of time you want to be tracked, whether it's all the time, for a period of time, uh, daily, weekly, whatever you want to do. Find My Friends allows you to do it. Now, if you don't have an iPhone, if you're an Android user, there are apps as well. I think there's an app called the Family Connector that allows you, similar to the to Find My Friends, to install on both devices so you can allow yourself to be tracked. It's an opt-in system. Now, in, t- in this case, I'd say the brother will install it on the device, turn to keep it turned on so he can locate his brother if he needs to. Uh, but in, in other cases, and, and this is dependent on, on in each individual and each family, it is an opt-in system. So you can't be you can't track someone without them allowing you with these apps is what I'm trying to say. So find my friends, the Android version as well, the person being tracked needs to give permission for that to happen. Other question we've got is uh, people, a couple of readers I've got with Apple Watches, uh, now whenever they receive a message, it doesn't say the name of their contact on there. It's just a bare number, and they don't know who that is. They've got to go to the phone and say, oh, yeah, that's this person's name. They're wondering why the names, their contact names, aren't being displayed on the Apple Watch. Now, the solution here is to go into the Apple Watch app, Go to the gen- go to the settings, general, and there is a section at the bottom that says reset. And what you do is choose the reset sync data. That will sort of flush it out, reset that sync data so that the data you get on your phone is accurately represented on the watch, which means getting your contact names with the messages so you're not having to guess whose number that is you're seeing on your watch and trying to tie it with one of your contacts. If you reset uh, that sync data on uh, through the Apple Watch app, It'll, uh, it'll silently do it in the background, and then when next time you look when you receive a message, you'll find that the names, your contact names, are also appearing on Apple Watch as well. Uh, we've written about Apple Watch and all those other devices and apps on techguide.com.au. And that's the end of our show for this week. You can read about everything we've spoken about, of course, at techguide.com.au. We'd love to hear from you as well. We have an an app called VoiceBite. It's free for iOS and Android users. We want you to be a part of the show. So instead of emailing me your question... 
Why not record the question? Use VoiceBite. You get 15 seconds to record. Use the hashtag TechGuide. So hashtag TechGuide. Record your question. Or you may want to give me a review. You may have bought on a HomePod. You may have the, some of the products I've spoken about. You may have bought a brand new product that I haven't spoken about and you want to give me your 15-second review. I'd love to hear from you. So download VoiceBite and get recording. Hashtag TechGuide. Now, if you want to send an email, you can do that, info at techguide.com.au, but I will give preference to VoiceBite. Your voices will be heard on our podcast. We want to give a special thanks, too, to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thanks for listening. We look forward to joining you again next week from Barcelona. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. 